Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Do you ever wonder what therapists talk about over coffee? Well, we're three clinical psychologists, Dr. Diana Hill, Dr. Ray Littlewood, and Dr. Debbie Sorensen, and we'd like to welcome you to Psychologists Off the Clock. In this podcast, you'll get a glimpse into the books we read, the research we think is interesting, and the ideas from psychology that we use to thrive in our own lives. Our webpage is www.offtheclockpsych.com, and there you can find resources we mentioned in this episode, as well as other podcasts we've posted. You can also find us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ray Littlewood, and I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Liza Mermelstein. She is a clinical psychologist, and we both practice together at Behavior Therapy Associates in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We recently did a talk for the local psychologist about reproductive mental health, and I'm really excited to get together with you, Liza, today to, um, to talk a little bit about some of the things that we researched and some of the, you know, kind of clinical experiences that we've had with reproductive mental health and share that with our audience. So welcome. Thanks, Ray. It's really great to be here. I'm a big fan of the podcast and I'm excited to be here talking more about this with you today. Yeah, I'm glad you're here too. You look well rested. Um, Liza and I both have small children and, um, and we also have, um, you know, a, a fairly large and thriving private practice um, focusing a lot on women's issues. So we get together occasionally and talk about kind of our future hopes and dreams and um, developing more programming for women, um, specifically on issues related to reproductive mental health. So what that means basically is that we are interested in the ways in which um, hormones and mood and big changes in life, like you know, adolescence and puberty and, um, you know, dealing with like the regular cycle of, um, of menstrual cycle and hormones, pregnancy, um, and then, you know, into perimenopause and menopause. I see a lot of clients at all of those phases. How about you? Yeah, I think that one of the um, things that really attracted me to this topic is that it's really an area of intersection between sort of um, psychosocial factors and the biology. You know, when you think about um, what's going on um, for a woman who's about to become a mother, there's a tremendous amount of change when you think about what that means psychologically, what that means for her socially what that means for her identity, and then also what's going on in her body and the, you know, amount of hormones kind of coursing through and changing as she um, goes through pregnancy and postpartum. And so I think that this is a really important and really interesting kind of topic for us to talk about. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, 
you know, many of the women that I see kind of um, present for therapy, oftentimes for more general life stress issues. You know, it's like kind of transitions in life, right? Like a, a high school student going into college or college student graduating and finding a job or, you know, um, going from career to pregnancy and being a mom and then parenting and um, and then kids leaving the house or changing your career or retiring. You know, there's so many changes that women go through and so many different hats that they're wearing throughout their lifespan. And then you put on the overlay of hormonal changes. And um, I think that's where sort of having a, a knowledge about this can be really helpful. Absolutely. I think that the biology of it is something that really, you know, I'm preparing for this presentation that we did. Um, both of us um, really benefited from doing the research on, and that's one of the things that we're going to focus on today. Um, we're also going to talk about how to differentiate between kind of the typical presentation of mood and when mood becomes more intensified or problematic as a result of hormones. So, for example, um, in the DSM-5, there's now a diagnosis called premenstrual dysphoric disorder. So we'll be talking about how to differentiate between that and PMS and just typical depression. And then also looking at those phases like we like you mentioned, Liza, like in pregnancy, right? Like what is what's postpartum depression? How do you differentiate that from you know the typical baby blues? Um, and then we'll be talking about the treatment and sort of what the steps are to identifying, um, you know, getting a good diagnosis and then guiding somebody who's, you know, maybe navigating multiple things, right? It's not just I'm here because I have PMS. It's, it's you know, I'm trying to balance all of these life stressors. Yeah, I think one thing that we do know from sort of, you know, a great deal of research um, is that, you know, women tend, women tend to have higher rates of many mental health disorders. And in particular, you know, women are 50% more likely than men to experience a mood disorder over their lifetime. Um, similarly, they're 60% more likely to experience an anxiety disorder over their lifespan. And so, you know, we know that women are at particular risk for mood disorders. And um, there's a lot of reasons why. And Today, we're just going to tackle sort of one small slice of that. You know, there certainly are um, other factors, right? Women have to deal with kind of higher rates of victimization. Women often are dealing with, you know, higher rates of poverty, yeah. everything from mansplaining and catcalling. <laughs> yeah, just the inequalities right. or um, challenges that lots of women face. Right. Um, so, so certainly hormones aren't the whole picture, um, and I don't think that that's the message we want to give at all. But I think that for me, it's sort of it's helpful to understand kind of what's going on hormonally because this can sort of help understand just um, one factor that might be impacting um, sort of changes that one might experience. And I think being educated about that can be really helpful because then it sort of normalizes a lot of that mm -hmm. and sometimes even can kind of help prevent sort of escalation into more um, significant sort of mood, is mood issues if you are able to kind of figure out what's going on and intervene pretty early. Mm -hmm. 
the first thing maybe that we can talk about is sort of what the primary sort of drivers are biologically. Um, in our research, I learned a lot about the role of estrogen. That's the, the sort of dominant hormone in a woman's reproductive years. Um, estrogen is um, very, very low prior to menstruation. And then there's like this buildup of estrogen, which basically leads to the onset of menses. And then throughout the reproductive years, which can be from anywhere to, you know, age 10 to 12, um, all the way until, you know, for some women like mid-50s. And during that time, estrogen really cycles on a monthly basis. And so it's important to understand sort of the change of hormones over the course of a typical cycle, but then also to look at the bigger picture, which is that there are phases during a woman's life where there's even greater fluctuation in estrogen. There's this really great video that we'll link to in the show notes about it's a two-minute overview of the menstrual cycle, and it's a really great video we found on, to, on YouTube that essentially shows that hormone changes and mood changes throughout the cycle. So for a woman, day one of the menstrual cycle is the first day that you bleed. And day one and two are marked by really low estrogen. So if you can think about um, while you're on your period, your energy tends to be very low. You might have cramps, might be more tired. It's a really good time to kind of take it easy, exercise gently, and then as your period ends, you can notice that your energy starts to rise, and that's because uh, estrogen is also starting to rise. Estrogen is really thought of as a mood elevator, um, and the way that estrogen elevates mood is estrogen tells monoamine oxidase, which is an enzyme that breaks down neurotransmitters such as serotonin dopamine, and norepinephrine. So when estrogen levels are high, more of these sort of mood-elevating chemicals are available. And then, so if you can think about the later in the cycle, when estrogen starts to increase, um, your mood starts to increase and peaks around your mid-cycle. And that's during your fertile phase. So days 10 to 13 is when estrogen is at its highest. And kind of ironically, Liza, that's, you know, the fertile phase is when you're feeling your best, which kind of makes sense um, from a procreation sort of perspective, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then um, after that uh, fertile period, when once you ovulate, which is triggered by the spike in luteinizing hormone, which is another hormone involved in the cycle, that sort of also triggers a gradual decline in estrogen. So at the latter half of the cycle, estrogen starts to decline, and that's when you start to see like the changes and intensification of emotions and kind of more fatigue and tiredness. And then as you get later into the cycle, around days 19 to 22, estrogen really drops off, testosterone and progesterone increase, and you start to get the premenstrual symptoms like bloating, tiredness, decreased libido. And during that time, it's a good idea to be eating healthy and staying hydrated. 
And even doing exercise during that time can alleviate some of the kind of moodiness symptoms, but also the physical symptoms like the aches and bloating and soreness. So that's kind of the nutshell of hormone changes during the cycle. Span, we know that there's sort of higher higher rates of depression from sort of um, onset of menses to kind of menopause. Then throughout the lifespan, every month you're having these sort of fluctuations of hormones, and then there are these other critical periods, primarily, um, you know, when during pregnancy and postpartum, and then during perimenopause when there are significant changes in estrogen, and it. Um, rather than just sort of the kind of decrease in estrogen as being related to um, sort of mood-related changes, it seems to be this these sort of periods of fluctuation mm-hmm. that sort of when, when estrogen is fluctuating, we're at particular risk for um, sort of mood symptoms. And it, it seems like there's also sort of cer- certain women who tend to be sort of sensitive to these changes. Mm-hmm. And so you might, and, and I think that both Ray and I can kind of test this, but, but you'll see a lot of people who, you know, they're um, kind of experiencing mood changes, um, you know, pretty impairing mood changes sort of throughout their monthly cycle. And that then they tend to be at higher risk for experiencing sort of um, prenatal or postpartum depression. And that they're, they're also at higher risk for experiencing depression and perimenopause. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, one of the first things that I do often is, you know, I when, I, when I'm working with a patient, um, I'll sort of have them kind of track some of their symptoms. Um, and that gets us into this discussion of, what is the difference between PMS, which is experienced by kind of a really high rate of women? Upwards yeah, of like, 80, 90%. Yeah. yeah. So most people are experiencing some sort of PMS symptoms. When does that get into what we call um, premenstrual dysphoric disorder? Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, like you were saying, we haven't yet figured out how to measure hormonal sensitivity, but there certainly seems to be a subset of people who are more sensitive to the hormone changes and may be more vulnerable to developing a diagnosis like PMDD or postpartum depression, like you said. But the converse is also true, that if you experience a major depression, you're also more likely to experience more severe premenstrual symptoms, postpartum depression, and more significant depression symptoms during perimenopause. So I think maybe we talk a little bit about the specifics of how we diagnose PMDD. If that's something that at least I've found many of my clients don't even know that that's a, that that's a thing. Um, and it's helpful often, like Liza said, to, you know, to spend some time tracking and to also do some psychoeducation about what the difference is between depression, PMS, and PMDD. Mm-hmm. So temporarily, this is going to be different than something like uh, major depression, where there's going to be sort of symptoms that are present in the final week before the onset of menses. The symptoms then start to improve within a few days after the onset of menses and become minimal or absent in the week post menses. So that's different from sort of major depression um, where you might have a waxing and waning of symptoms, but it's not going to be so consistently linked to the menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then there are a lot of over, overlapping symptoms. Um, so if you're familiar at all with the symptoms of depression, you know, some of them are fairly straightforward, you know, depressed mood, loss of interest in activities you used to enjoy, you know, changes in appetite, um, difficulty concentrating, feeling lethargic, um, some sleep difficulties. But then there are some distinct differences between PMDD and, and major depression disorder. Yeah, I think what the ones that stand out the most to me are a sense of being overwhelmed or out of control. You know, people report sort of feeling really anxious, perhaps, or really kind of like affectively, like unstable, you know, that one minute you kind of are okay, and the next minute you're like, kind of screaming at your children to, <laughs> you know, to do whatever, you know, whatever it was that was happening, just all of a sudden became really um, frustrating. Um, there's, of course, the physical symptoms that go with the hormonal changes that are happening, such as breast tenderness or um, joint or muscle pain, and then uh, the, the wonderful sensation of bloating and um, weight, you know, feeling like you're heavier than you are at other times of the month. And that irritability, that tends to play out interpersonally. And, um, and I think that that's a real difference from from depression from typical depression presentation mm -hmm. and it, it, it can feel a little bit more kind of anxious or keyed up um, a little more irritable or edgy versus kind of typically uh, a depressive disorder you're going to be feeling down most mm -hmm. of the time mm -hmm. yeah and and PMS is primarily focused on a less, basically a less intense version of the affective kind of ups and downs that you see in PMDD, right? So if you can kind of think about it on a, on a spectrum, right? Like PMS comes with definitely some um, emotional ups and downs, but um, PMDD is like, you know, times five or times 10. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so as we were talking about before, you know, I think that um, some of this is just kind of um, going over with patients, you know, what their symptoms are, when they occur, and trying to kind of map this on to see if this is something that, um, a disorder that kind of fits for them. Um, and, and I was saying, you know, I'll often have um, individuals sort of do some mood tracking sort of throughout a couple of cycles because um, this gives us a lot of information for treatment and, and also helps them to start to become more aware and potentially feel like they have some, not necessarily control, but manage those mood symptoms so that, you know, at certain points in the month, you might have to take things a little bit easier knowing that you shouldn't kind of keep your cup runneth over mm -hmm. at those points. Um, whereas other times, you know, you might know, know that you're probably going to feel pretty good and that's the time to kind of take on extra things or yeah. challenge yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many apps out there now that are set up to do exactly this, right? It's, mm -hmm. um, they're tracking yeah. period both tracker. your, yeah, period tracker is a great one. It tracks, um, you know, your cycle just in, in terms of like the cycle length, which can be really helpful if you're trying to get pregnant or um, trying not to get pregnant. <laughs> um, um, and then in addition to that, it has ways to, it has like, um, you know, little tabs that you can use to 
track your symptoms and yeah yeah and there's some interesting research out there about the role of sort of stress risk for um, PMDD and um, so like a lot of things in psychology it's really difficult to parse apart so for example um, they've done studies that show that individuals who meet criteria for PMDD um, also report uh, greater stressors over the last year. And so it's difficult to then know if, okay, does experiencing more stress put you at risk for developing PT PMDD or does the mood-related symptoms make you more, um, make your threshold for perceiving stress and the impact it has on you lower and make you less resilient to managing stress. So it's really kind of one of those chicken and the egg sort of things. Yeah, which is a really helpful sort of reframe for some patients who are coming in thinking or worrying that they're depressed versus being able to look at it as there's times in the month where I really struggle and I need to figure out a better self-care plan for handling or changing stressors during that time so that I'm not so, you know, my functioning and my satisfaction with my life, it doesn't decline so much. Um, and so really focusing on things like sleep and exercise and um, taking time for yourself to do, you know, nurturing things during um, the times of the month where you know that you're going to be a bit more sensitive, that your energy is going to be a bit lower kind of like a more doable thing for patients, mm -hmm. right? It's like easier to think about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's a little um, contradictory, but uh, even though we know that hormones are playing a large role in kind of this disorder, um, hormonal treatment or birth control for some people can be helpful and for other people really can exacerbate symptoms. So mm -hmm. it's really, and there's so far, research hasn't really found much rhyme or reason to it. So mm -hmm. often it's it's something that, um, you know, women will try, and for some it will work, and for some it really will make things worse. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, so that's one of the questions that we, you know, that we're trying to sort of um, grapple with, you know, where, like, what are the sort of um, sort of decision points for, the next steps, right? After you identify that, hey, I think I do have severe PMS or PMDD perhaps, um, what do I do next? Definitely going to consult with a gynecologist can be helpful for the reasons that um, Liza just said. You know, if you've been on a birth control in the past, you can have maybe, you know, you might have some information about whether that might be helpful for you. If you've never been on birth control, it's something worth trying. Um, and a gynecologist can also help if you're having like irregular cycles or, you know, diagnose if there's other things that are going on, like um, polycystic ovarian syndrome is one of the, one of the things, or endometriosis, um, both of those can cause a lot, like more severe um, premenstrual sy symptoms and then also interfere with um, fertility. But then there's Seraphim, which is uh, Prozac rebranded for PMDD, um, has really um, been shown to be very effective for PMDD and also for depression that's with an onset in perimenopause. 
Yeah, so I think it was a couple of years ago now, but that has sort of led to increased recognition of PMDD, but it still is um, underdiagnosed and mm-hmm. underprescribed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I think a lot of women think um, it's, you know, it's a kind of a big deal to take an antidepressant. Um, but one of the interesting things about um, using an antidepressant for um, a hor- like a hormonally related mood problem is that it can be used episodically, mm-hmm. so basic or cyclically, I guess, that it can be used um, sort of during the latter half of the menstrual cycle when your mood symptoms are the worst. Um, and that's actually been shown to be pretty beneficial um, or just as beneficial as taking it um, continuously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those are kind of questions that will encourage patients to have with their prescriber, whether that's their gynecologist or primary care physician or psychiatrist, about, you know, how to try taking their medications and what's going to be sort of most helpful for them. And I just, I wanted to also uh, mention briefly that when we talked earlier about the, um, that the change in estrogen and that the fluctuations in estrogen are really kind of crucial in the mood changes um, is that during perimenopause, that is the period um, during a woman's reproductive years where there's the greatest fluctuations in estrogen. So um, during perimenopause, which is the the 12-month period during which you're having irregular periods, and so you reach menopause once you have not had your period for one year. And at that point, basically, estrogen drops to the level that it did before you started your period when you were little. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting that during perimenopause, the rates of depression are found to be um, up to 14 times greater than the rates in premenopausal years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah definitely a high-risk period. Yeah, it's a high-risk period. And if you think about, right, we were talking a lot about the life changes that tend to be happening around the time of perimenopause. Um, perimenopause, an early onset of perimenopause is in your 40s, and kind of the typical onset is usually early 50s. That's the time for many women that children are leaving home. Um, sometimes, you know, that's the time of uh, relationship disruptions like divorce. You might be caring for elderly parents mm-hmm. and sort of dealing with, you know, you're sort of at a prime place in your career, mm-hmm. um, juggling a lot of balls at that point Yeah, for many women. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really common, I, I think, for, you know, that kind of like that change, that shift in like what I used to be able to handle But now I feel like, you know, my threshold for irritation is much lower. My patience is much lower. Um, I just, you know, I just feel like everything is bothering me and I just want everyone to go away. And for some women, that's their sort of first time in their life where they're experiencing those kinds of symptoms. And so it can be really concerning and unfamiliar and, um, and kind of surprising and not know what to do about it, right? Like... Does this mean that I need to be on an antidepressant or do I need to get a divorce or <laughs> what do I need to do? Right. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, I'm not sure how much we'll get into this during during this podcast, but, um, you know, there's some really interesting information out there just of how culturally bound so much of this is that, you know, in um, 
in our culture, which tends to sort of, you know, worship youth and beauty and, you know, it can be really, really challenging in a lot of ways to be sort of entering this period of, um, you know, when you're not menstruating anymore, when you don't have the option to have children anymore if you wanted. And, and that's not the case in, um, lots of other cultures, you know, in many cultures, sort of this transition actually comes with sort of more freedoms or, um, being less bound by some of the traditional viewpoints. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that transitioning, that, that transition, if you, it does matter a lot in how you're, how you're looking at your own aging process and, um, being able to, you know, like find a group of women who sort of support healthy aging and kind of focusing on like the benefits of being able to have more freedom, like you said, um, to be sort of looking at each other as sort of wise women um, who've had, you know, amazing lives and continue to do amazing things. So in today's podcast, you know, Liza, I really appreciate you coming in to talk with me. And I think, you know, we didn't get to some of the what I think are really important topics around pre and postnatal depression, um, postpartum depression, um, talking about the impact of hormones during that phase, and then also the role of hormones and and stress around trying to conceive and infertility and infertility treatment. So I'm kind of thinking that maybe a part two would be kind of a fun thing to do. What do you think? Yeah, I think that sounds great. Yeah, so we talked a lot today about the the role of estrogen, really, right? And we know that estrogen... I don't know, by the way, we didn't mention this, that men have practically no estrogen. (laughs) So when you look at the sort of chart of women versus men and sort of hormonal changes over the course of the month, men have a flat line and women have all these ups and downs and crazy lines, which, you know, just really emphasizes how interesting and multifaceted we can be (laughs) Um, and how, you know, how... um, how important it is to pay attention to your emotions, right? Because we have so many factors kind of driving it and taking care of yourself emotionally is really, really important. And, you know, for my, myself and Liza, um, I think we draw from our own personal experiences and, and we really, we really appreciate having the opportunity to work with women um, in all phases of life. It's, um, it's really a wonderful thing. Yeah, I um, find it so inspiring to see how many women are doing so many different things. And I just feel like I'm constantly learning from my patients. Um, It's just such an honor to be able to sort of see the strength that um, a lot of people bring to really challenging times in their life. Yeah, yeah. So with that... um... I think we're going to sum it up and um, be back with part two of Hormones and Mood in a future episode. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Ray, for having me here. I look forward to coming back. Thanks, Liza. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes. You can also find us at www.offtheclockpsych.com. That's offtheclockpsych.com. Music by John Goo and Susie Stevens.